Hello everyone, my name is Marcel Nunes and I'm competition partner at Herbertsmus Freehills based in Düsseldorf. It is my pleasure to be sharing this, the third episode in our CRT podcast series. Through this series, we bring you our expert updates and insights into the latest developments in competition law and practice. Previously, we discussed sustainability and competition law, as well as cartel enforcement. Today, we will be tackling another interesting and always important topic, the evolving merger control landscape. To bring different perspectives, I'm joined by three colleagues, Francesca Mora, partner in our Milan office, Peter Rowland, off-counsel in our Brussels office, and Natalia Rodriguez, off-counsel in our London office. Hello all. Hi. In relation to assessing mergers, the Commission has been busier than ever. Last year, over 400 deals were notified, which means an increase of over 10% compared to the previous year. Outside of the merger control sphere, the Commission has just adopted a revised version of its vertical block exemption regulation and is in the final stages of revising rules for horizontal agreements. We will come back to those in another podcast. In addition, the Commission has been revising various of its guidance in relation to merger control. Peter, can you please explain what you're observing in this respect? Sure. So, as you indicated, the Commission has been busy revising various guidelines over the last few years. And in some cases, because the previous guidelines and the regulations um, were expiring, and in others to reflect developments in case law and critically the way markets work, including developments in technology since those guidance was, was written. In terms of guidance relating to merge control, I think there's three key pieces to be aware of. The first is the Commission's guidance on Article 22 of the EU merger regulation. The second is on market definition. And the third is on simplified procedure. So the Commission hasn't revised its guidance on its substantive assessment of mergers in the way that the UK has done recently, for example. And of course, the Commission's cases also provide guidance on its approach, as do the court cases, um, which have provided insight into the scope of the Commission's powers. On the court cases, I saw just recently the judgment in Canon Toshiba on gun jumping in the context of so-called warehousing deal structures. But again, let's talk about that in, in another podcast episode on merge control. So the Commission's guidance on market definition, simplified procedure and Article 22 are all at different stages of going through the Commission's processes. The one already in place is the Article 22 guidance. So let's park that and come briefly back to it in a bit more detail later. And thanks, Peter. So taking the market definition notice first, what are the key developments there? So the Commission's current market definition notice has been in place since 1997. And following a consultation in 2020, it identified a number of areas in which it needed revision. A key background document for this is its 20 July, is July 2021 staff working paper, summarising the findings of its evaluation. Now, this showed that whilst the market definition notice helped to provide clarity on the Commission's approach to market definition and the, its basic principles remain sound, it didn't fully cover the evolutions in the market definition, including those relating to the digitisation of the economy. More specifically, the Commission identified six areas where the notice might not be fully up to date. And these are the use and purpose of the so-called SNP test, digital markets, in particular zero price markets and digital ecosystems, the assessment of geographic markets in conditions of globalization, quantitative techniques, the calculation of market shares and non-price competition. 
Now, the Commission subsequently announced that it would update the notice in light of these changes, and it launched a call for evidence, a consultation in January this year, which closed in February, and it aims to publish the first draft of the revised notice in June 2022, uh, with the final version is expected to be adopted in the first quarter of next year. That's interesting, and it sounds like there's more to come. On the Commission's simplified procedure, which accounts for the majority of cases, I know there are proposals for reform, a consultation which is ending shortly. Peter, can you provide some additional insights, please? Yeah, that's right. Last month, on 6th of May, the Commission published a draft revised implementing regulation and notice on simplified procedure. Uh, the main proposed changes include further expansion of the cases eligible for simplified procedure with two new vertical categories, including cases with low downstream purchasing shares and cases with limited increments to a pre-existing vertical integration. It also proposes introducing a so-called flexibility clause that would allow the Commission to treat what are currently non-simplified cases under the simplified procedure in circumstances where no competition concerns are likely. They are also proposing new measures to further streamline the review process, including the introduction of a new notification form for simplified cases. And this would be in a tick box format, which primarily includes multiple choice questions and tables that must be completed rather than open text questions. It also proposes that information requirements for non-simplified cases would be streamlined and clarified, and certain sections in the form CO could be eliminated altogether. Notably, while the Commission formally introduced a super simplified procedure for offshore joint ventures with activities entirely outside the EEA, it stopped short of fully excluding this type of notifications. Now, this is despite the fact that many stakeholders for many years have advocated that such exclusion should occur, given that transactions do not give rise to competition concerns in the EEA, often rendering the entire process pointless as well as costly and time consuming. So the Commission consultation closed on the 3rd of June 2022, and it expects the new rules to enter into force in 2023. Interesting, Peter. You also mentioned Article 22 as something we should discuss in a bit more detail. What is it and, and why is it so important? So you may recall that there was some debate a while back about lowering the thresholds in the EU merger regulation, the EUMR, to catch so-called killer acquisitions. There was a concern that some transactions, by tech companies in particular, were slipping out of the Commission's net because the target companies did not have sufficient turnover to be automatically reviewable under the EUMR, but the transactions still have may, led, may have led to competitive concerns. Now, Facebook Instagram is cited as a classic example. At the time that Facebook bought it, Instagram had no turnover, so it wasn't caught by the EUMR. The Commission decided not to lower the thresholds, not least because it would have required a treaty change, a long legislative process. Instead, in March 2021, it issued new guidance on the use of the referral mechanism in Article 22 of the EUMR. Now, this doesn't change the underlying referral mechanism in Article 22. There's no change to the merger regulation, but the Commission had indicated a change to its practice. Critically, this change states that it will now be willing to accept referrals by member states of concentrations that fall below their domestic jurisdictional thresholds, provided that the turnover of at least one of the undertakings concerned doesn't reflect the actual or future competitive potential of that company. It still requires a member state to make a reference. The Commission cannot automatically take jurisdiction, but there would be a dialogue and whilst not all, at least some member states are supportive of the Commission's approach. 
So in short, even if a target's turnover falls below the thresholds for an EU or member state filing, mm -hmm. it's still possible that the Commission will require a filing and ultimately would be able to require remedies or prohibit a transaction. That's a super interesting development and, and clearly of key importance to clients considering mergers. Let, let, let me ask two follow-up questions. I mean, first, is the Commission focusing on any particular sectors? And, and secondly, given that the guidance was published more than a year ago, I mean, how has, has it been operating in practice? Yeah, so on, on your first question, the new interpretation of Article 22 applies to all mergers. So companies active in any sector need to be aware of this. However, the scenarios in which it's most likely to be used, where targets turnover doesn't reflect the actual or future competitive potential, may be more relevant in some sectors than others. And the Commission identifies digital and pharmaceutical sectors as primary targets. On your second question, the key case is Illumina Grail, which in just a month after issuing its guidance, the Commission accepted an Article 22 referral request initiated by the French Competition Authority and several other member states. By way of background on this case, Grail's developing a blood test to identify early stage cancer using DNA sequencing, but it had no active products and so no EU sales that could trigger a notification. Illumina, the purchaser, is a major player in gene sequencing. So after unsuccessfully challenging the Commission's attempt to assert jurisdiction in the French and Dutch national courts, Illumina appealed to the EU General Court, arguing the Commission's lack of competence to examine the transaction. Nevertheless, Illumina notified the deal to the Commission in June last year, and in July, the Commission opened an in-depth investigation. The parties have since submitted commitments, which at the current time, the parties have not yet commented on. To further complicate things, notwithstanding the Commission's review, in August last year, Illumina publicly announced that it had completed its acquisition of Grail, objecting to what it considered an unprecedented early implementation of the concentration. The Commission subsequently confirmed that it was pursuing a gun-jumping investigation and adopted interim measures aiming to prevent the impact on competition. While the party subsequently challenged the measure, it remains to be seen whether the Commission's use of interim measures will become more frequent in the context of reviewing implemented transactions under the guidance. Illumina's jurisdictional challenge was heard on in December 2021 and has been granted an expedited procedure. In essence, Illumina argued that the Commission has no legal basis for its use of Article 22, and even if there is an interpretation of Article 22 that would give it jurisdiction, the Commission didn't exercise the power reasonably in this case, disregarding legal certainty in the party's rights of defence. Both the appeals on jurisdiction and on interim measures, as well as the merger decision itself, are still pending. We expect the judgment on the jurisdictional question in July this year. The outcome of this and the, and the appeal on the interim measures will certainly shape the future of the Commission's approach to Article 22. So it's a key case. Many thanks, Peter. So the competition world is eagerly waiting for the decision, in particular because the Commission's approach is not without doubt. Some regulators take a critical stance. Germany, for example, is one of the countries not being supportive of the new Commission's Article 22 policy. Francesca, how about the situation in Italy? Thanks, Marcel. In the same vein as the Commission approach on Article 22, which Peter has just described, uh, last year the Italian Competition Authority proposed an amendment to the Italian Competition Law, which should empower the authority to assess below thresholds transactions. 
In particular, according to the proposal, uh, the authority could request a notification if three cumulative conditions are met. The transaction may raise potential competition concerns in the Italian market or in a relevant part of it. The transaction has been completed not earlier than six months. And one of the two thresholds for the notification to the Italian Competition Authority is met or the worldwide turnover of all the undertaking concerns is above 5 billion euro. If those conditions are met, the authority should be entitled to request a notification for its assessment to be filed by the undertaking concerned within 30 days uh, following the request of the authority. The Italian Antitrust Authority proposal is aimed at, at capturing the killer's acquisitions, but also transactions which may create a quasi-monopoly in a local market. But given the size of the, of the market and the geographical dimension of the market, are not notifiable under the ordinary thresholds applicable in Italy. The authority has anticipated that the proposed regime for below thresholds transaction would not only apply to the pharmaceutical and digital sectors, but it would have a general application. In November 2021, the Italian Council of Ministries uh, accepted the proposal, which however must still be approved by the Parliament. It's worth noting that in addition to the proposal on below thresholds transaction, the Italian Competition Authority has also urged to amend the merger control provisions uh, applicable in Italy in two ways for a better alignment to the EU rules. First, the authority has proposed to set out an explicit reference to the significant impediment to effective competition test, rather than the creation or strengthening of a dominant position on the national market test, which is currently applicable to Italian transactions. And second, according to the authority's proposal, the treatment of joint venture should be the one envisaged in the EU merger regulation so that all full function joint ventures should be treated as concentrations, even if they have cooperative effects. Many thanks, Francesca and Peter, for these insights into the merger control landscape in Europe. Now turning to Natalia, who will shed some light on merger control in the UK post-Brexit. Um, Natalia, how does coordination between UK and EU now works in merger control cases? Well, in January 2020, the CMA published some guidance on its functions under the EU-UK withdrawal agreement. And in that guidance, the CMA explained that it would try to coordinate merger reviews relating to the same cases or related cases with the European Commission and with other competition authorities. In practice, though, since the end of the Brexit transition period, we've seen substantive divergence in the Commission and the CMA's thinking, uh, and also in the outcomes of their merger reviews in the last 18 months. We're seeing that the CMA is more than willing to insert a certain independent approach to merger control more broadly. There's a growing number of cases in which it takes a different approach to the European Commission. And in some cases, it's arrived at a different conclusion to the Commission as regards the competition concerns raised by a transaction. In terms of numbers, uh, 15 mergers have been reviewed concurrently by the Commission and the CMA post-Brexit up to the end of April this year. Four of those have resulted in different outcomes at the Commission and the CMA, while in others, the two authorities have reached the same conclusion, but by different paths. 
Okay, so it, it seems that Brexit mm -hmm. made the merger control world more complex and, and more challenging for companies willing to merge. Can you tell us a little bit about recent cases of the CMA? Absolutely. Um, so first, let's look at one of the cases which was cleared by both authorities, but where the CMA and the European Commission actually took different approaches to get there. Um, in Standard & Poor's and IHS market, the Commission and the CMA both conditionally cleared the deal in their phase one reviews, but on the basis of different divestment packages and after analysing different theories of harm. The Commission concluded that the deal raised vertical concerns, whereas the CMA was more worried about the horizontal effects of the merger. The remedies required to address each regulator's concerns were therefore different. Secondly, we have those cases in which the Commission and the CMA arrived at different conclusions. And one example of that was the recent purchase by Meta of Customer, a small but expanding competitor in the customer service and support customer relationship management software market. Now, the CMA cleared that transaction unconditionally at phase one in the UK last September. However, the European Commission cleared the transaction conditionally following a phase two review in January. And both regulators pursued broadly similar theories of harm, but they arrived at different conclusions. Both of them looked at whether Meta could hinder customers' competitors going forward. The CMA concluded that Meta wouldn't have an incentive to do this, but the Commission would only approve the merger after accepting 10-year commitments from Meta to offer free and comparable access to Meta's messaging channels for customers' competitors. The different outcomes in this transaction really show how the CMA is not shying away from carving its own path. It cleared Meta customer unconditionally at phase one, knowing that the Commission had already referred the deal to phase two the month before. And it also shows how these authorities are arriving at different outcomes where digital markets are concerned. Most recently, and perhaps most significantly in terms of divergence, there is the proposed merger between Cargo Tech and Cone Cranes. This transaction was conditionally approved by the EU in February 2022 after a phase two investigation. However, the CMA then prohibited it at the end of March. Uh, the Commission was able to get comfortable with a combined remedy package, which featured divestments from different parts of the two companies' businesses. And in the UK, the parties also proposed this type of divestment remedy to the CMA. But the CMA blocked the merger on the basis that whoever bought the divested businesses would not be able to compete as strongly as the merging businesses do at present. And the process of carving out the assets and knitting them together was just too complex and risky. Finally, another case we're watching closely is Veolia Suez, which was cleared conditionally at phase one by the European Commission and was referred to an in-depth phase two review by the CMA. Um, and the CMA has now provisionally found a number of competition concerns uh, and looks set to block the deal unless significant commitments are offered. A CMA official has recently said that there's a number of reasons for this divergence in assessments. Firstly, differences between the two merger control systems. Uh, secondly, different processes and approach to evidence gathering and different decision makers. And also that most cases end up in the same place and di divergence is really more common when you have tighter judgment calls. It's true that different geographic markets can give rise to different issues, but there do seem to have been quite a lot of these cases recently. 
Peter, I know you have been also following the digital sector closely, and in particular the new DMA, which imposes do's and don'ts on digital gatekeepers. Is there any relevance for merger control? Yes, there is. So whilst the Council of the EU and the Parliament reached political agreement in the DMA in March this year, in practice it won't be until 2023 that we start seeing designation of gatekeepers and later in 2023 or 2024 for actual enforcement. The DMA doesn't introduce any major changes to the merger control regime, but what it does do under Article 12 is required designated gatekeepers to inform the Commission of any intended concentration prior to its implementation, irrespective of whether it's notifiable to the Commission or to a national competition authority. So this is just for information that the DMA doesn't alter the jurisdictional notification requirements under the EU merger regulation or national merger regimes. But as is envisaged in the recitals to the DMA, the Commission and the member states could use the new approach under Article 22, which I mentioned before, to obtain jurisdiction to review the deal. So the DMA also states that the Commission should publish annually a list of acquisitions of which it's been informed by the gatekeepers. So there's likely to be scrutiny on whether or not these mergers were subjected to merger control review. And if not, why not? A second key element is that in the event that the Commission identifies systematic non-compliance by a gatekeeper, it can prohibit for a limited time period the gatekeeper from engaging in acquisitions relating to those bits of its business affected by the systematic non-compliance. So that's quite an interventionist remedy. But it's important to remember that these rules only apply to gatekeepers designated by the Commission. So that's likely to catch the very largest digital platforms, but certainly not all players in the digital sector. DMA is certainly something we should return to in a later podcast, I think. Now, I know that there's a new part of the German competition law targeting digital sector. Does that also target mergers? Yeah, you're referring to section 19A. I mean, this is a new toolkit which was introduced in early 2021. It does not target mergers, but rather gives um, the, the German regulator additional enforcement powers against digital players. Um, Natalia, what is going on in the UK in this field? Anything similar or so? Uh, so the UK government has recently published its own digital markets proposals after consultation last year uh, and on merger control specifically the government is intending to introduce new mandatory reporting requirements for firms which are designated with something called strategic market status. That status would apply to a small number of firms which meet a range of criteria uh, including substantial and entrenched market power which provides the firm with a strategic position. The proposals mean that before completing transactions which exceed specified thresholds, firms with strategic market status will be required to report those to the CMA. And those thresholds will be that the firm is acquiring more than a 15% equity or voting share, the value of its holding is over £25 million, and the transaction meets a UK nexus test. So there will be closer scrutiny of these transactions than there might have been otherwise. Um, Francesca, anything similar which is currently under development in Italy, for example? Yeah, uh, the Italian Competition Authority again um, made a proposal for uh, um, uh, additional enforcement powers um, against digital players, uh, like you described for for Germany, but nothing really related to mergers. Thank you, Francesca, Natalia, and Peter. Although we have covered a lot. 
I suspect we could keep talking a great deal longer. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do keep an eye on our HSF blog post. The blog is available via our website and covers a wide range of competition topics. On behalf of all of us, thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Do take care and until next time, goodbye.